Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, 21st of December, we're recording. Hopefully the threat of Joe Biden's Omicron isn't going to mean that we're recording via Zoom in the new year. We've got a little bit coming up on this week in cricket. Pakistan, West Indies, the New Zealand, Bangladesh um, tour, and not a lot else really going on in the world of cricket this week. Um, And we'll get to that all after the swish. See you soon. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Cricket on the Top Order podcast. Adam's introduction, as funny as it was, has failed to mention probably the biggest piece of sporting news in the cricket world over the last week or so, and that's that Australia have won the pink ball test in Adelaide and now go two up in the series with oh, three to play. Oh, those real test matches? Those, those, those are ones. real test matches, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we play, we play five test matches, three real ones, and then two pink ball test matches. All of them count. Right, okay. Yep. Even the Hobart one, which isn't a proper venue. Yes, even the Hobart one. Yes, okay. it's a bit like playing at the at Carter for the Aegeus Bowl or something like that. It's a real test venue and we play real cricket there and, and all of these results count. So uh, Australia 2-0 up after two games. Adam, what was your emotion last night having sort of watched the, the last rites being performed by Australia, albeit with some resistance from the England lower order? Um. I didn't watch the last rites. I was watching a Gordon Ramsay festive Christmas special, actually. Um, So he was, I don't know, roasting some potatoes with a bit of pancetta, um, wrapping his sprouts in parma ham or something like that. Yeah. So um, So Christmas present uh, preparations going well. Yeah. Look, I I watched until Butler tried on his stumps because even I had this glimmer of hope that somehow he and Wokes were going to manage to negotiate 30 or 40 overs and then maybe someone like Ollie Robinson was would come in and just blunt an end. Um, but when, yeah, when Butler stepped on his stumps, I kind of uh, turned over, to be honest. Um, yeah, look, not, not a lot to say, really. I think we did it really after the first test match. There's a lot that's gone wrong with England's selection for me in this series. They've got things wrong in this test match. Nathan Lyon has proved there was plenty on offer on, on that wicket. We don't have a spinner capable of it. Shane Warne's suggestion of Mason Crane, um, you know, he's not even in the squad and he's 14,000 miles away. So, you know, problematic for him to play um, at the MCG. But to go with those kind of four very samey right arm seamers, no point in a difference with um, Mark Wood. Um and look, I'm sure we'll come on to it. And Raj and I were discussing this on the way up, actually. When you look at the pitch maps, the Australian lengths weren't actually that different to the English lengths. But I think you've got to reflect that the Australian bowlers hit that length probably a little bit harder. So, uh, look, I, I think they got their tactics wrong that, you know, they hid the new ball. And I don't think you can afford to do that with a Kookaburra. You, you can with the Dukes to an extent, try and bowl a little bit drier because it's going to do something all day, the Dukes cricket ball. But that... Kookaburra just if you don't use it in the first 15 overs and try and hit the top of the stumps and nick people off then you're in for a world of pain and that was what transpired and the the sad thing for me is Joe Roots come out in the press conference or after the press conference actually and made a point of talking about his bowlers and the lengths and them not adjusting and he was clearly pointing the finger at his two or three most senior bowlers in Root uh, sorry in Anderson Broad and Wokes and glossed over to a large extent the fact that what are you guys now if you know put your 90s in the mix you've got um seven or eight scores above 90 we've got only two or three scores above 50 in the whole series so um not addressing that batting thing ollie pope looking you know frenetic at the crease um rory burns i I know raj will disagree and and give him another 10 or 15 test matches but uh, you know he can anymore 
but then we come to this preparation piece which is none of these guys so crawley has not had a hit for four or five months bearstow's not had a red bull hit for four or five months what are you going to do throw them in at the mcg they've had no you know no ability to um yeah to play and then imagine how low I was at this particular point. And I pick up a newspaper article that says they're thinking about calling Sam Billings up from the Big Bash. So look, that was it for me. Um, um, they're, they're talking about raiding the Big Bash for Saqib Mahmood, uh, Sam Billings, James Vince have been mentioned uh, as people who come in and bolster. I, I, they're not going to do that because that's you know a massive, massive panic. But I do think they're going to have to... Um, to come back to the start of my comment, you know, Gordon Ramsay's cookbook, I think England are going to need to rip up their cookbook and go with a new recipe for the new uh, the new season when they're back at home. Oh, it, it's interesting that you started it by really saying that it was boring because honestly, that's how I found a lot of this test. And I didn't expect that at all when I came into this series. You know, we talked about, kind of made a joke about, you know, that I'm always sort of supporting against Australia but I did think it would be an interesting series because sort of because both teams haven't really played or Australia hasn't really played test cricket for a long time I know Australia is very good at home and I mean it's kind of remarkable how good they are at home and I think we we should probably talk about that aside from obviously India which we you know with look back at that series but aside from that they just dominate everyone at home so maybe it it is no surprise that this is happening I suppose we touched on that last week but you know you, you're right that Root Root seemed really, really pissed off at the end of that game. And, I mean, you know, you think about what he's doing. He's he's being asked to score all the runs. He's now being asked to play an important role with the ball that I actually thought he probably should have backed himself a bit more. Then he's being asked to make all the decisions. He's copped a couple in the nuts. I mean, he's had a pretty horrible five days, and it's it, it's going to be a, a tough series for the rest of them for, for the rest of these few weeks. Just before the other boys, look, I guess, jump in. And I, I echo what you say. We've got to talk about Australia and how well Labuschagne batted, apart from his bizarre commentary to himself, which um, I'm not even going to go into that. Um, I love it. Uh, Root and Stokes with the ball, actually. You know, they, they, they've made Stokes do something which, uh, to me, that was clearly a plan. So the short pitch stuff was a plan. So I don't think that comes into the pitch maps. That was, hey, come in and enforce. But that showed in the way that he batted as well. He was knackered by the time he'd come to bat. He bowled, what, 25 overs of short stuff, which Neil Wagner will tell you takes it out of you tremendously. And then I've got to ask this question of the two spinners in the room as well. If you're a spinner in a squad and you see your opening bowler bowl three or four overs of off spin and you can't get into the side, what does that make you think when your opening bowler is allowed to send down three or four overs of twirlers in a test match. Jack Leach must be just sitting there going, why am I even, why am I even here? Um, and, and Don Bess, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what he'd be thinking as the, as the second spinner on the tour. Oh, there's so many, so many things to think about. I, I mean, for those two, it's really tough. I actually think that they, I mean, they've, they've really shown no confidence in either of those two spinners for a, a long time. This isn't just a Jack Leach had a bad test and they've dropped him and that's no confidence. They've had no confidence in either of those two for a year. And if that's the case, I mean, I, I guess it comes back to a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, about spin bowling in general, you know, AJ Patel doesn't get that confidence here in New Zealand. It's the same kind of thing, but England, you usually do see a spinner in the tests in England and, and still they, they haven't really been given that opportunity, but, I mean, Robinson, when I saw that first up, I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, I sort of like to see a spinner and see how he goes. And then they sort of, 
you know, I was thinking, has he bowled in first class cricket before? Turns out he's bowled. He did used to be a spinner. Yeah. yeah turns out he's bowled 25 overs or something. But then I just started thinking, <laughs> my irrational off spinner kind of mindset started kicking in. And I was thinking how annoying this was. Like, this just felt like, you know, club cricket, bowling in the nets. Uh, the the openers had their bat and they just stroll over and go, oh yeah, off spin's easy. I'm just going to roll and roll a few uh, over and uh, you know everyone thinks they can bowl off spin and, and here's Ollie Robinson doing it in tests. I remember thinking the same kind of thing when uh, you know when I actually played cricket to a, a decent standard and was thinking I you know maybe I would like to get to test cricket level some stage and I would see part timers come on and test cricket and get a test wicket and I would feel really insulted personally because I was thinking you know I'm a better bowler than him and he's got to test wicket and just the, yeah things started flying out the window but yeah you know I think the bigger issue is that Joe Root is being asked to do such a huge role and and they're not you know they're not giving this responsibility to these spinners you look at Nathan Lyon he plays every test for Australia it just does not matter it doesn't seem to matter where they are he plays every single game and it's not a case of uh, you know, Australia's got so many or only got three good seamers because they haven't. In the past, they've had heaps of good bowlers like Pattinson and all these other people that have been on the fringes. Nisa, we've been saying how long he's been waiting for a go. They they just play three and they play the spinner and they're just other countries around the world just don't seem to do it. Don't know about you boys, but Lippy looks about 10 years younger after letting all that out. They've been holding that back for decades, about opening batsman, bowling, spin in the nets. Um <laughs> My, my point that I want to get to is I agree with a lot of what you've said there. And I, when I saw um, when I saw um, Robinson bowling spin as well, I was I was quite shocked by it as well. But they've really England have really backed themselves into a corner when it comes to spin bowling now. Uh, I don't know where they go from here um, in, on that front. But I do want to actually praise the bowlers there because they 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 did create chances. There was a lot of drop catches. Can someone walk me through some of the wicket keeping drop catches? That we saw in we'll, this test. We'll get to we'll get to wicket keeping with Adam in a little bit, but just to walk through the chances. So Marcus Harris taken by Joss Butler, excellent catch down the leg side for three or four or whatever it was in the first innings. Then I believe Manus was dropped at least once. On twenty one, I think. So he was dropped on twenty. Oh, that was the that was the tough chance down the leg side. Kind of had to dive or dived in the air and didn't quite glove it. Then at the end of the day, he was on 95 and the second new ball was taken. And that was a pretty regulation goober. You would expect most third or fourth grade club quick wicket keepers to swallow that nine and a half times out of 10. Well, what else have we got where there was a Smith drop, I think, was there not? Was Smith dropped by the wicket keeper at some point as well? Early on in his dig, he might have been dropped first ball after again, yes, an excellent, did. an excellent catch by Butler. And then the Jekyll and Hyde kind of performance continued and I think that just flowed over into his batting because he did all the hard work, Joss Butler. You know, 200-plus balls to defy Australia in that fourth innings and made it look like England were a chance. And then he goes and does the most kind of Joss Butlerish thing that he could possibly do, which is to stand on his stumps when there was not really all that much going on. There's also a lot of similarities to what I think you mentioned, uh, Binksy Stokes looking tired when he came into bat. When New Zealand were there, they had to field. I think they bowled almost every day of that series that they were there in Australia in 2019. And when you've gone in and you've bowled 150 overs in that Australian heat, you're really, really pushing uh, shit uphill, I think, when it comes to getting back into the match. And it, and it was hot. That bowling day that England had in the field was 37+, plus, and Adelaide can turn on some pretty uncomfortable conditions. Everyone seemed to be feeling it. Like, I mean, you mentioned Butler there that it. I really 
it looked like Australia was struggling at that point. It, it did not look like England, you know, as bored as I was, I still was watching the test and it looked like England could hold out. And, you know, as a neutral, you sort of felt it. I felt really gutted for Butler. I mean, to do all that hard work and then stand on your stumps, it's its pretty heartbreaking. Look, it's a weird one for me. I, I don't know what to think about it. Before his innings in that second dig, I was kind of thinking, does he really want to play test cricket? He, looked he doesn't go- look like He it. looked gone in the eyes. He, he's, he's not sort of vocal. He's not um, encouraging like, a you know, an Australian wicketkeeper or even someone like a Matt Pryor. Um, you know, who's, you know, been very up, but that hasn't been his character the whole time that he's played for England. He's always been relatively calm and that, you know, ice running through his veins has proved to be the reason he's such a good white ball cricketer. And after watching that innings, that he's gone to the well to bat for 200 balls and literally put every single um, shot away and reminded me of a story I read, I think in Steve Waugh's um, book about Ian Healy, who wanted to carry on playing shots, even when Australia were going for a draw. And Steve Waugh just came down to him and said, you don't have to play shots. He goes, I'll get out if I do. He said, no, you won't. So it, it was just the fact that he went so within himself, that innings just probably showed me that he's really got the mental ability to do that. If he could intersperse his clear talent with that kind of application with the bat, um, then look, he could, I still think, make a decent test cricketer. They're not going to drop him, I don't think. Um, the segue I want to make is just how good Kerry was. He did miss a chance and let one go in between himself and Steve Smith at, at first slip off Mitchell Stark, which I think was Butler actually on naught. Yeah, it was uh, Butler early on yeah. in his dig, yeah. Um, but aside from that, he gloved Lyon beautifully. Um, eight catches, I think, on debut, uh, batted with freedom. He's looked every inch the Australian um, test keeper. And um, I know there was a lot of, um, is it going to be Pearson? No, short sleeves. Is it going to be um, uh, Inglis, um, the Yorkshireman? No. Carey has really burst onto the scene and shown that he, uh, why he was the heir apparent. I think really, really impressed with him. Yeah, and the thing that really impressed me with Kerry's wicket-keeping was the wicket-keeping to Lyon because Lyon was extracting turn and bounce and he was getting the ball to come out of, yeah, out of un, like unsighted areas and he was taking the ball, as you have just described there, Binksy, above above the chest and, and up even up shoulder height at some point and he gloved everything. He really didn't miss other than the one that he's got that confused between keeper and first slip. He looked excellent for mine and... And that kind of symbolises almost the difference between the Australian and the England sides. You know, when you've got your kind of technical professionals just being absolutely clinical and perfect on one side of the coin and then the other side of the coin, you've got that kind of Jekyll and Hyde nature, which is not really what you'd expect from an English keeper. You expect them to be sound technically and to be kind of consistent. And we haven't really seen that. And I think that's just symbolic of the difference in in the kind of mental state of the, of the two sides, because there's no doubt that Joss Butler is as talented, if not more talented than Alex Carey is, particularly with the bat, but he's just not in great form at the moment. And it's, and it's that whole side from top to bottom. Baldy, any changes for Australia for Melbourne? Pat Cummins will come back in, you would have assumed. And, uh, at the expense of, of Nisa maybe, because Richardson had a good, uh, good game. Yeah, so Pat Cummins will come straight back into the side for Melbourne in a, a swap for Michael Nisa. He played really well. He got a, you know, a, a debut wicket off his second how ball good was that? in just, test cricket. I, I think you talk about the mental state. I mean, how good was that when he got that wicket? And, you know, you just you don't see reactions like that all the time. But they, they were clearly thinking, like, this guy has 
they all wanted him to succeed. And it's, it's yeah, it's it was great to see. Yeah, and a nice little detail there. Mitch Swepson and Usman Kawaja, who were carrying the drinks and fellow Queenslanders, were on the field congratulating him even before some of his teammates reached him, which I'm sure is a breach of some kind of playing condition. But it was lovely to see from a Queensland point of view. So he'll he'll drop out again, probably 12th man. It depends on Josh Hazelwood's fitness. He has been named in the squad now for the next three test matches. So you would expect him to feature at some point, whether or not he's fit for Melbourne is um, is to be confirmed. But Jai Richardson in that second innings in particular looked every inch the test cricketer, bowled a lot better length um, and was able to shake the ball in that second innings and particularly against the tail. When he targeted the stumps and didn't try to do the Australian thing that we tried to do against India last year, which was to bowl short and intimidate guys, once he decided he was going to pitch up a name at the stumps, he was a lot, lot better and took five from the second innings. The only other the only other thing that we probably should touch on from a selection point of view, Marcus Harris has had another quiet game. So his Ashes average is now 10.6. His overall test average is 21 and change, I think, after a 3 and a 23 in this test match. So he is going to be under pressure. He's got a test match at home in Melbourne. And you would think that while Australia are winning, they're probably not going to change a winning formula with the Ashes still alive. I think if Australia win in Melbourne and Marcus Harris doesn't make runs, they might look at somebody else in that in that top order position, but they need to be able to do it with an eye to okay. If it's if it's not Marcus Harris, it's got to be someone for the long term because it's no point in playing Usman Kawaja for two Test matches that are dead rubbers. There's no point in doing that for Australia. Because You're very big on long term. I mean, how how long does long term need to be? Can't Kawaja come in and play for what, the next but, two or three years? But what's well, what uh, well he's 35. So what's the point? Like, what's the point in having him bat for two years when you've got a guy like Mike, Mike Hussey? Yeah, I, I well, don't Mike know I agree with you at, about this. Mike Hussey debuted at 30 and played for five years, right? Five or six years. Chris Alex, Rogers. Chris Rogers. Yeah, well, Chris Rogers is a, is a good example. There are a couple of other examples of Australia. W.G. Grace, we talked about him on the Hall <laughs> yeah, of yeah, Fame. we did. Yeah, we did. Okay, so there are plenty of examples of players making debuts you know, well into their 30s. I'm, all I'm saying is they've tried Kawaja. They don't really see him as an opener, I don't think. Otherwise, he would have probably been there already. I would be looking at a guy like Bryce Street or Henry Hunt from South Australia, guys who could probably play in that Australian side for a number of years. Both of those guys are under 25. And if you're going to go with Pekovsky long-term, you may as well blood someone. You may as well give someone an opportunity to play a couple of test matches if they're dead rubbers. But that's, again, me getting ahead of myself and, and, and thinking that if Australia win in Melbourne and Marcus Harris doesn't play well, which are both potentially not fait accompli. Raj, right of reply for you on Rory Burns. I've said I don't think he really should be around the side. Your thoughts? He looks out of sorts, doesn't he? I mean, I've spoken to you about it. What are you against you? Oh, I mean, yeah, completely. I, I think we were talking about it last night and basically saying how two years ago, a year ago, he just looked like someone who felt really assured, and he just doesn't look like that now. Yeah, he's one of the. He's got a batting style where there's a lot of things that can go wrong, and if if he's not, he got got his head screwed on properly, he's gonna gonna mess it up, and that's what he's been doing in the first two tests, but. The argument for him is that he is comfortably the second highest run scorer for England in this calendar year, behind Joe Root, who's miles and miles ahead. So I think he's actually more ahead than anyone else has ever been in Test cricket or something like that. I did see some stat with him and Viv Richards was second in some year that Viv Richards scored a remarkable amount of Test runs. Yeah, I, I, you've just got to look through the the rest of the lineup. I'm starting to look at Ollie Pope now. I mean, he he's going really bad. I've got some numbers here which I've done some research on. Just give me a second. He scored 150 through the last 18 innings at bat, and he is averaging 21.65. That's all in this calendar year. Is that Pope or is that Burns? Pope. That's Pope. That is wow. Pope. 
Because you you could actually have a look at that stat and you go, well, that could apply to <laughs> everyone in the lineup. <laughs> it, 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 just about right. <laughs> other than other than Milan, I think Milan's been alright. I think he's been really good and showed a lot. Oh. He showed a lot of of capacity to bat in Australian conditions. Whereas I look at Hasib Hamid, and we talked about it last night, how low his hands are. And yes, Manus Labuschagne plays with low hands as well, but he leaves very, very well. He gets hit on the gloves a lot, Manus, but he also leaves the ball on length very, very well. That's why I picked uh, Milan as my sort of guy for this series because he he can play the ball between his his shoulders and his waist quite well. He's mm. quite tall and he can he can deflect that and away. He's, he's glorious off the back yeah. foot. He's he's pretty to watch off the back foot, particularly backward of square. He cuts the ball just superbly well. Yeah, I, look, Ollie Pope has been the heir apparent into that England side, but the numbers don't really lie. I think someone like Dan Lawrence can feel himself might and lucky that he's found himself behind um, Ollie Pope. Um, and let's not forget, Ollie Pope's had a pretty decent chance now. We're not talking about a guy who's played six, seven test matches. We're talking about a guy who's had 20, 20 odd test matches. Um, reminds me a lot of Mark Ramprakash. I, I just wonder whether he's ever going to be able to transfer that um, undoubted class in county cricket. Um, you know, it may be a little bit early to make that uh, make that comment, but that's what it reminds me of because he just looks all over the shop when he's uh, when he's out in the middle in the Test match at the and, moment. And Pope in county cricket is a dominant force, right? He averages fifty five plus, or did at one point yeah. average fifty five plus. I think he averages ninety nine at the Oval. It's Holy like ridiculous smoke. at his home game. It's it's I'm getting massive deja vu flashbacks to I think we had the same conversation after the India series where they were over there and um, just all of those young players failed and failed and failed. And it's it's scary that, what, nine months later, we're having the same conversation. And Rory Burns wasn't even in the team then. He got dropped for a lot of those India games. He might have played one of them. I think he was on paternity leave. Uh, I think he was in the stands, but maybe for some of it. Uh, he was definitely dropped at some point in that England, in that England-India series, I'm pretty sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that he's the first one in the firing line. I reckon Oli Pope. Has has got to show something in the next few games. Who who do they have on tour to replace Johnny Bairstow, Zach Crawley, same crew, and um, Lawrence, who we've talked about. Yeah, so not yeah, not too many options from the from a bowling point of view. Adam, where do you go from here? It's clearly England don't feel like they can pick a spinner. Are they going to go with Bess or Leach for Melbourne? What like what's the look? What's the makeup there of their attack going to look like? Because they've changed a bunch of players. Anderson and Broad came in and. I don't think they actually looked like they bowled all that well, and they certainly didn't. They certainly didn't have the effect that everybody thought they were going to have on this test match, right? They they might have bowled reasonably well, but I think everyone, myself included, expected Anderson and Broad to run through Australia and cause them a lot of flutters at, at some point in that test match with a pink ball under lights, and it just didn't transpire that that happened. Well, England didn't really bowl with the pink ball uh, under lights at the times in the game where those guys were going to have an impact uh, with a with a new enough cricket ball um, or with a new enough cricket ball when they hadn't already bowled. Um, a thousand uh, overs. Uh, exactly. And I think the other thing is they didn't have any lead into this game. So I just think it's a massive issue that England have overcomplicated the selection for this. They have got a spreadsheet out there and they've said, right, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to rest and rotate our bowlers rather than looking at the test match that's in front of them. Not not playing Wood was criminal. It's absolutely criminal. I know you said last week that he can't play two tests in a row, but he's very rarely played two tests in a row. He should have. Yeah. If he got injured, then hard luck. That's that's just the way it went. They have no one. Like, it's a real shame that they don't have Archer on this tour. Um, yeah. That is a massive, massive loss. That they just, And Stone, you know, the fact that they just don't have anyone out there 
you know, maybe they should have picked Mahmood, who's who's now over in the big bash. He's in the big bash, yeah. They, so they've got they've got some options. And look, I think I guess the positive that we can take from this, of course, is they have another another spin option in Ollie Robinson. So <laughs> uh, maybe they can go with their five uh, five seamers for for the next game with Ollie Robinson in there to bowl a bit of spin with Root as well. Look, a little bit of Colin Miller. Yeah. Look, shall we move on? And, just one and, thing. I was, I, are we being a bit harsh on on James Anderson? I think he bowled all right in that test match. Yeah, I did as well. I, I, yeah, I, I don't agree. With, uh, I don't agree with Bordy on that. I think Anderson bowled pretty well in the first first dig. I think his economy rate was somewhere around two. And he looked dangerous. And it, yeah. all the time. But Stuart Broad, we're going to have to fact check this. I'm sure someone's going to tell me this, but I, I read that. Joe Root has more test wickets this year correct. than Stuart Broad does, sort of which is incredible. Think about it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I mean, Wokes. I mean, Wokes has got to. Wokes has got to be the one that misses out. You you would think for for Wood. I I don't know. There there are bigger problems than the bowling. And and you know that we've talked about selection and there's been a lot of chat around. You know, should they have played Leach? I I don't think it makes any difference. The difference. The problem is that they're not scoring enough runs. Uh, look, absolutely, but. Guys, let's move on and, and let's just hope that England do go and dine as a big group indoors and all become close <laughs> contacts and they can bring as many of those guys in from the big bash as possible for uh, the next uh, test match. But we will be back um, after the swish with the next part of this week in cricket. See you soon. Welcome back to the Top Order podcast. We were going to segue to New Zealand, Bangladesh and the recent Pakistan-West Indies T20 series, but alarming news has come through to us during the break. Adam... You've got a confession to make about some uh, YouTube rabbit hole that you found yourself deep into this week that can is only good be, can be described as the most bizarre thing I've ever heard you say. Yeah, so I was in a bit of a YouTube um, rabbit hole. So I was watching a Rick Shields golf video. I think I'd watched uh, a cooking video. And then the next one that came up on the list was Steve Smith packing his gear bag. And I thought... How okay, long was it? So it was several several minutes. How long. how long was it, mate? Come on, it was it was probably like eight or nine minutes long. And you watched the whole thing. Um, so I was just absolutely fascinated. So he's in a hotel room. He's packing up, playing for Rajasthan Royals, and going on one day duty for or white ball duty for Australia. Is Seinfeld playing in the background because there was a, a very good picture of him uh, shadow batting at two a.m. the morning in this recent test, and uh, Seinfeld was playing in the background. No, all, but that gave him all, a few bumps up in my estimations. No, all you could see was his, was his toes and his Rajasthan bag, and then his Australia bag. And I was just astounded. And I've asked you boys, um, Raj, who is the you know the the most um, eminent batsman on the Top Order podcast, um, and you've all gone massive unders here on how many pairs of gloves Steve Smith takes with him. Um, for a white ball tour. So you've gone with six, Baldy. I had six, yeah. I thought that was pretty safe. I, th- I went six originally, but your shock on your face, I've gone to nine. Nine, okay. Oh, it's got to be like 15 or something now. So he he essentially had 26 oh, pairs of batting oh. gloves and he packs them in little twos. Um, so t- two rows of, of 13 pairs of batting gloves um, that are on the bottom of his bag to provide some padding. Is Bats then go face down to protect his bats. Uh, helmet goes in one end, his box. Um, a bag of spare grips that was bigger than player sports because, um, you know, he likes a, a grip and a, um, and a glove. And then his pads on top to protect his uh, bats and then all of his sundries in the, in the side pocket. So um, absolutely mesmerizing um, <laughs> to, to, see, uh, yeah, to see that many pairs of batting gloves in a, in a bag. But anyway, we digress. Lippy, over to you for New Zealand news. 
Yeah, look, so Bangladesh is next next in line for for the Black Caps, and um, yeah, unfortunately, COVID is is playing a little bit of a role here. Although hopefully it, it will play a very minimal role. It's uh, today was kind of D Day for what was going to happen in that series. There was some talk, alarmingly, there was some talk from the Bangladesh board president saying stuff like, you know, the players were sort of hoping. Uh, that that the tour would be cancelled and that they could go home, which I thought was yeah very sort of worrying. If that's the the mindset of not just the Bangladesh players, but the mindset of players in general. I mean, we touched on the the English mindset and I, I guess how they were thinking they might not even want to come to the Ashes in the first place. So I think that's a whole separate conversation. But Rangana Hirath, uh, their spin bowling coach, tested positive for COVID on on arrival in New Zealand. So. He's been in quarantine. There were other players who were close contacts who were uh, on their flight. There was someone else who's tested positive and they were in the in the vicinity. So it's been a really disrupted build-up for them, unfortunately. And I, I guess we just hope that this is the end of that and we're not going to suddenly, in a, a few days' time, one of, them, one of the other players test positive and then the tour is in, in real danger. Bangladesh are in struggle town, Stuart, but New Zealand are pretty well set with their test lineup. Are there any concerns in terms of the selection of the squad? Any any surprises that we can expect? You know, squad changes potentially from the last test that they play. Well, I think there'll be some lineup changes given that we last played in India, uh, and we're coming back to New Zealand. Obviously, all the the whole makeup of our side changes in, in the way we structure, particularly our bowling attack. And um, but look, I don't I don't think there'll be any surprises at all to be in terms of the squad. I think we'll see a very similar lineup. There's no, there'll be no Kane. We hope, and I know Raj next to me will be very much hoping Devin Conway is is back fit and can kind of slot himself back in the top order. And then we would have Latham, Conway, and probably Young fits in at three, filling that role. If Conway's not fit, I don't know what they'll do. I'm, I'm sort of interested there. They might stick with Young opening and Mitchell at three, which is what we saw in the last India series. We, we might see Ratchan Ravindra move up and open, and that might be a bit of a way to get spin in there because I, I do feel like, you know, AJS Patel's just taken 10 wickets, but I, I don't I don't think he'll play just the, the way that we build our side. And, you know, they've they sent Trent Bolt home, uh, you know, didn't play in India, uh, presumably to rest up for the, the New Zealand home summer. Neil Wagner didn't get a run in that. Both those two will be amping to play. You've got Southie and Jameson. And, and the thing is that we can't, the way the World Test Championship works, we have to like these tests are so important. We we only get two test series. We cannot muck around. So I think we just have to win these tests and, and go all out. And playing the four seamers and trying to knock Bangladesh over quickly will be the recipe. And Ravindra actually is makes make really adds a lot of balance to our side, doesn't he? Even if he comes in batting at six and, and bowling some spin. So hopefully we'll see that. I, I think Conway will be fit from what I've been hearing, so that will be good to see him back opening the batting. I actually had a look back at Bangladesh's history in, in New Zealand, and it is actually really, really quite poor. They have lost every game they've played and lost it by quite some margin. So uh, what, how do you see this series going? Well, I would hope it goes the exact same way, to be honest. I mean, you know, Bangladesh... We've talked a little bit about their cricket and how the you know there's been some stuff going on behind the scenes that hasn't been a great look from the outside. The the way they prepared their pitches during that um, you know when we went there, when Australia went there, I know that was T20. It's a different different sort of formats, but it didn't seem like it was conducive to building their cricket. So you know it's certainly not going to help them 
in terms of what they're doing coming to, to New Zealand and, and the pitches they're going to face there. So, look, you know, I think that number seven spot probably for New Zealand at six or seven, depending on who it is that's picked for that spot, is is the most fascinating part. But look, I, you know, I, I certainly expect New Zealand to win these two tests and win them easily. It's it's the kind of situation that we're in now in New Zealand. Pretty much everyone that comes to this country, I expect us to win. And you know, Bangladesh, the way they're going, is is no different. Lippy, some other New Zealand cricketing news. Tours announced to Pakistan. Two of them uh, next year for the Black Caps returning to Pakistan. Um, obviously, one or two teams to pull out of tours there um, in this, uh, I guess, security um, concerns earlier in the year. But now two tours that include all three formats. Yeah, so look, the the world, the the two tests they've been scheduled for a long time, and um, I think the timing has kind of the timing of those two tests has sort of struck everyone as really weird because they're they're going there in December January next year, so twenty twenty two, and everyone's kind of gone, why are we doing this? Why are we going to Pakistan? You know, and I sort of tend to agree, but that you know we normally have a Boxing Day test or a New Year's test or something around that time. It's it's a big part of our home summer, and and you're going to be taking. 15, 18 players out of the the environment then going over to another country and playing them. But they have always been in the World Test Championship cycle. I don't know why they were always scheduled for that time. But So so that's no real news. It's great that we're going back to Pakistan. Um, I, you know, I think uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about it in, on, on a later episode that, you know, that, w- that was a really tough time. Obviously a lot tougher for Pakistan and I know there were a lot bigger repercussions, but... I mean, first just for the the players when it struck, first happened, I'm sure it was incredibly disruptive for them, and uh, and then it was just a, the backlash that came towards New Zealand and and I guess the fans because you know we we uh, we're used to now being the good guys and uh, it was a bit it was a bit unusual to suddenly get all this backlash. But the the one that has kind of been put in to make up for that is the remarkably five ODIs and five T20s. Uh, in April 2023, uh, I think that that'll end up being a bit of a fringe New Zealand side, depending on, I mean, who knows what the world's going to look like in April 2023. But, um, you know, I think there'll be probably IPL around that time or something like that. So, you know, whether the New Zealand, those sort of players will be available for that, who knows. And then, you know, we could be in a situation where, in a good way that we get that opportunity to send a whole bunch of players over there to sort of fight out those last sort of six or seven spots for that ODI World Cup later on in the year. So it could be great for New Zealand. It also could be a really tough time if uh, if it's a second string side playing against a, a, a good Pakistan side, particularly in those uh, white ball formats. And Baldy, you want to touch, I think, a little bit on West Indies cricket? Yeah, and it is West Indies, Pakistan. So West Indies in Pakistan for three T20s. Pakistan have, I guess, greenwashed the West Indies, you might say. A, a green sweep, uh, 3-0 in that T20 series. Uh, look, the only thing to write home about from a West Indies side that was, one, decimated, as you said, Raj, by by COVID and a lot of players unavailable. So you have a look at the West Indies side without without uh, Pollard, without Russell, Without some of their superstars, Shimron Hetmeyer also not available. So Nicholas Puran was captain and wicketkeeper and driving the bus and carrying the drinks and, and doing everything for that side. But it was a, an interesting uh, performance from Akil Hussain. Just looking at the scorecards, he bowled really, really well. Great economy rate. 
not a kind of guy who would probably would have been in the mix for the West Indies in recent times with the emergence of Hayden Walsh Jr. in particular, but he looks like he's taken every opportunity to make a post, uh, that post a winner in an otherwise probably, I would say, reasonably disappointing West Indies tour to Pakistan results-wise, but you know there is a big asterisk for them in terms of their having a lot of players out with COVID, but they've got to look at Brandon King, they've got to look at Shamar Brooks at the top of the order, and they've got to look at Akil Hussain, who looks like he's in uh, he's in a good spot for the West Indies moving forward. The only thing really that comes out of that series that's worth noting on, and I just want to come to you, Raj, Roger Harper, the West Indian selector, has been removed from selection duties. You follow West Indian cricket probably more so than the rest of the members of the of the podcast. What What's the implication for West Indies cricket here? Is this just another issue in their ongoing series of issues or is this sort of trending in the right direction in terms of maybe getting some fle- fresh blood in the selections? Uh, a little bit of everything, I think. So he's, he's been, Roger Harper's been around for a long time. I don't have his exact tenure, but uh, they have not won many test series, many one-day series. Uh, un- under his selection stewardship, shall we call it. Uh, but there's also politics at play very, very heavily uh, at the moment. You saw with the selections for the 2020 World Cup, uh, they didn't even have um, Jason Holder on the plane originally, but he managed to to get in there before the start of the tournament. But look, the West Indies cricket does have a bright future. They've got some really, really good talent, uh, especially in the, oh, we know that they're good in the White Bull stuff, but even with the Red Bull stuff, we've got the, the unearthing of the likes of Jaden Seals, uh, Kyle Mayers, Bonner, uh, and even uh, Joshua De Silva there behind the stump. So they've got, they've got some real talent, uh, young talent for the future, and it's just about putting the right players around them, getting the right support around them. Because if we look back at the the results, actually, in 2021, I did go back and have a look. They had five series where they went, uh, they won one, drew two, and lost two. That's not, that's not that much of a disaster. You know, they've, they've, they've only lost the two games there. They're above 50% if you're counting the Jordan series as, as wins, if you will. So that's much better than the year previous. So there is definitely um, light at the end of the tunnel here for the West Indies if they get their selection, their politics, their board all on the same page. It's a massive effort for so many countries at the moment. I mean, yeah, geez, you know, we haven't even touched on what's going on in South Africa and we probably won't. You know, there's still a bit to, to un, unfold there with Smith and uh, and Boucher going, you know, under under investigation after the, you know, all the reports that have been going on there. But I've just mentioned Bangladesh. Jeez, it's, it's alarming and I guess you see... You see why some of these other countries, the, the way that they have been stable, um, you see how much that can help their their playing group, and it, it must make a massive, massive difference. Well, cricket, the gift that keeps on giving us lots and lots to talk about, both on and off the field. We are coming to the end of another calendar year. There is some cricket, I think, coming up around the Boxing Day period uh, for people that want to tune into that. I think you'll find it on um, some of the sports uh, channels. You'll also see our festive New Year's and wrap-up of all things cricketing 2021 Christmas special in your feed very, very shortly um, as well. But for now, it's a gloating Australian and a very depressed Englishman. Um, Lippy and Raj signing off but not the final time in 2021, but we will be back um, in your feed very soon. We'll see you. Good night. God bless. Bye-bye.